One of the things, uh, as I was working on this sermon that uh, came out to me very clearly is is how frustrating it is when somebody answers your questions without listening to your question. Uh, Or or they they begin to comment on what you're saying before they listen to all of what you're saying. Some of us have gotten pretty good at this. I've always been good at this. at, uh, you know, interrupting and, and, you know, before I uh, listen to the whole thing. Well, we've spent the last couple of weeks listening to Jesus' prayer in John 17, and uh, we haven't looked at the whole prayer yet, so we're going to need to keep listening. Let's pray. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Father, thank you that you always listen to us, and um, unlike us, you do know what the conclusion of what we're going to say is. You do know what is coming, uh, but we don't. So I pray you would open our minds even more to to uh, your words, uh, particularly, very specifically, this prayer you prayed, Jesus, when you were here on earth. And uh, man, what a what a great opportunity to be able to just be quiet for a while and listen to you. You always speak through your word, and to me, this this uh, chapter has been one where you have really, uh, once again, touched me and helped me to hear. Uh, do that again as we go through this. Teach each one of us. You know what we're facing. You know what's coming. You know what we're in the midst of. So make your word very real to us, I ask, in Christ's name. Amen. So it's Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Turn there, if you will, page 996 in the Pew Bible. We're actually not going to finish it yet this week, but we're going to finish this section here in verse 13 through 19. Um, These are some of the verses that record the part of the prayer where Jesus prayed for his disciples. In the beginning, you know, it, it, if you look at the little, I was going to say headlines, headers in your Bible, it may have something to the effect of Jesus prays for himself, those first several verses. And then, you know, when it gets down and, and Jesus prays for his uh, disciples, verse uh, right around verse 6. And then it gets into where Jesus prays for, for the world, for everybody uh, coming up. That's what we're not going to cover yet today. Uh, but... Um, this here, you know, he's praying here for his disciples, those who were right there with him, those who were uh, standing next to him, those who were charged with carrying on the ministry that he had begun, and they were going to have to finish that here on earth after he leaves. Last week we looked at verses 6 through 12, the first portion of the part, you know, of the prayer that's focused on his disciples. Uh, now, if I were to give one main point to grasp from the first half of this, if I were to give you one main point to grasp from, you know, from last week, um, <clears throat> it's to remember that God is working out his plan. He is working out his plan in his time with his people according to his word. It's not, uh, it's not us uh, that is directing things. It's God. It's not us who comes up with the good ideas. It's God. It's not us who... Uh, should have things the way we want them, because um, trust me, you, you all know yourself, you've wanted some things a certain way, and later we're really glad it didn't turn out like you thought it should be, uh, because we were wrong. Well, we ended with verse 12, but just for a minute, I, I told you we're going to start with verse 13, but just for a minute, uh, look at verse 12 again. Uh, it, it got my attention as I was working on this. It says, while I was with them, I was protecting them. By your name that you gave me, I guarded them, and not one of them was lost. 
except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now, I don't know how Jesus led these guys in prayer at this you know, at this time when he, when he was with them there. Um, sometimes we're told that he lifted his eyes toward heaven when he prayed. Other places in scripture we see where people, some people uh, lie prostrate on the ground uh, before, before the Lord. Other times where, you know, where they're, where they're kneeling. Uh, you just have, uh, and bowing their head. We have all sorts of, of different ways that they pray. Now for us, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, bowing our heads and closing our eyes when we pray um, uh, one position isn't necessarily sanctified over another i would say for you whichever one helps you really concentrate on god would be the one that you should do but uh, what struck me as i was studying for this the sermon here is here is jesus praying and they're listening in on his conversation with god that's what i, I just see prayer as a conversation with god and here they are listening in on this conversation that Jesus is having, you know, with his with his heavenly Father, and <clears throat> let's say they're praying in a good old-fashioned 20th century way with their heads bowed, you know, and maybe maybe their 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 hands folded, um, and the disciples are listening in, and Jesus gets to this part. He says, "I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction." Right there, I'm thinking that. The son of destruction. You know, they're starting to, 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 to look around a little bit. Son of destruction. If you remember at the Last Supper when he was sharing the meal with them and he said, one of you dudes are going to betray me. And um, now, again, they didn't realize it was Judas. Otherwise, they would have beat the snot out of him right there. I mean, they weren't above that. Uh, so they didn't realize it was Judas. You know, we all read it and say, well, look, it says right there. Then Judas dipped his thing in there and Jesus said to him, well, go do what you're going to do. Why didn't they? Well, they didn't realize that's what it was. But what it says is they began to, you know, ask each other, hey, psh, psh, ask him who it is. Ask him who it is, you know. And, uh, you know, so I could just see this going on here where, you know, they're praying together. And he gets to that line of, you know, I, I, I guarded them, kept them all safe, except that the one, you know, the son of destruction, just the one destined for destruction. What? Ask him. Ask him. Who's he talking about? You know, who is it that he's talking? You want to talk about a distraction when you're trying to pray. You know, here it is. Everything's good except this one, you know, this one about the son of destruction. Well, apparently John was still listening, though, because he's recorded the rest of the prayer. And uh, today we're going to look at this in, in three smaller groups. We're just going to take in three smaller groups of scripture of, of verses to help us think through a little bit what uh, Jesus is saying. Last week I mentioned to you that uh, John uses the word world in a couple of very specific ways he uses it simply talking about the created world you know the the world we live in uh the, the planet the people you know and all that there is he uses it in that way but he also uses it in a way uh, where he's talking about those systems and ideas those forces that reject and oppose him and all he stands for uh, sometimes through neglect often through direct very overt ways where they come against him and and, uh, and hostility and opposition uh, and we have both of these at use in this section of john uh, you know and the context helps us to to determine which it is and you'll see that as we move through this look at verse 13 he says now i'm coming to you and i speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them now 
That one verse is our first section that we're going to look at. Uh, Jesus is getting even clearer as he's talking with his disciples that he was going to be leaving very soon. He says, now I am coming to you. Now, the disciples still were not grasping this. Don't be too hard on them. We have the advantage of looking back. I always get a, not a kick, I always think, what a stupid question. You know, when they ask somebody on the news or a politician or something, well, you know, knowing what you know now, wouldn't you do things differently? Well, I hope you would. I mean, what kind of doofus do you have to be not to do things differently with what you already know? Wouldn't, wouldn't all of you do, do things a little bit differently now? Uh, you know, think back to when you were 20. Those of you who are 20, think back to when you were 10. Uh, you know, but wouldn't you do some things a little differently? My gosh, I have a list of things I'd do differently. You know, but that's not, that's not the option. Well, here... You know, as he's as he's uh, you know praying and talking with them, and they're not grasping it, they're not understanding when he says, you know, now I am coming to you, uh, because they expected the Messiah to come on earth and set up his kingdom, then by overthrowing uh, the Romans who had possession and control of their land at this time. They were an occupied land and occupied people, and they were looking for the Messiah to come and. Beat the snot out of them. That's what they were looking for. They were looking, you know, they were looking to be the winners. They were looking to be uh, the up team. They were looking to be in control once again. And this is what, you know, it was. And to them, the political, physical freedom to live as God's people, that was the goal in their mind. And they would have a conquering hero in a worldly sense. And that they would be able to live as the nation of God once again. That was what they were looking for. Now, Scripture clearly seems to indicate that one day that that will happen, you know, and read through uh, the book of Revelation. And, you know, if you don't get anything else, you'll get the you'll get the idea that, hey, there's going to be a conflict, but God's going to win. Well, God already won. It's just going to be a little bit clearer then, you know, but here in his first coming in his first coming, Jesus did indeed set up the kingdom of God. We need to remember that. We need to realize that. Not an earthly kingdom, as they were expecting. That wasn't the kingdom that he came and set up. It's not as they were... God was not working out his plan according, according you know, to their plan. God works out his plan according to his word, according to his knowledge, according to all that he is. So he, you know, what he did is he set it up. He he set up. The, he he came and he did indeed set up the, set up the kingdom. You know, at at that point, the spiritual God's kingdom is is made up of all of those who have a relationship with Him through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what he's talking about. You know, in his returning to the Father, it was through his death on the cross. He, you know, he went by his death on the cross for them to set up and establish that kingdom. And here he spoke of the, you know, these things in the world, this created world. Uh, you know, so those with a relationship with him uh, can have his joy completed in them. Not their own idea of joy. It's not our own idea of joy, but Jesus' knowledge of real joy. Jesus' knowledge of complete joy. For us, joy is too often intertwined with the circumstances. Joy is too often intertwined in what we're in the midst of. Now, we get some guidance on joy 
Uh, you know, the joy that Jesus is talking about as we look at what he said about it. Now, if you see in your outline, I listed some scripture passages there for you. So uh, I'm going to go through them, some of them kind of quickly. And this way, they're already jotted down for you, um, you know, but just to give you some thoughts. The first passage really is more about Jesus. Um, it's spoken about him rather than by him. It's a familiar verse to us. And in fact, as I was reading this, it prompted me. I told I told Pastor Kent um, you know, this week I said, I got, I have some ideas for the Advent series. And it came as I was looking at this verse once again. It says, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Man, do we ever need that. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great... What is, what, is, what, is, what is going on here? The angel is telling them what? About the birth of Christ. That Christ himself, Jesus himself, that the Messiah himself was coming to live among them, was being born and was being there. And that's the news of great joy. Christ, the, 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 you know, the Savior, the Messiah had come into the world. Uh, one of the things that's clear to me as I look at Scripture is that joy is tied to the presence of our Savior with us. No question in my mind. It is tied to the presence of our Savior with us. I find it interesting, you know, that here in Luke chapter 2, joy is mentioned at his birth. You know, at his birth, this joy is mentioned right there. And Jesus mentions the fullness, the completion of that joy in his prayer here just hours before his crucifixion. So you have his, his earthly life really bookend with joy. Before he is born, talking about, you know, you know, this is good news of great joy. Great joy that he has come. And here he is just before his crucifixion, hours before his crucifixion. And he says that my joy will be complete in them. So you have his earthly life bookend by this promise and this whole direction of, of joy. Another place where Jesus talks about it, Matthew 13, it says, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Now, when you read this sometimes, uh, particularly even in the context uh, of where it is, we get a little confused. What in the world? Why did, why, why did he go and, and, and do this? Well, see, because of the importance of knowing uh, the importance of, of knowing, you know, that kingdom of heaven there. When I look at this, you know, the whole idea of finding the kingdom of heaven, knowing that you are a citizen of heaven brings joy. You know, knowing that you are a citizen of heaven, that brings joy. When we come into a relationship with, you know, with Christ Jesus, we become part of the kingdom of heaven. This is what I say, you know, what I'm telling you where, as I said, the kingdom has already come. He has established his kingdom because the kingdom, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is living under the rule and the reign of a king. As God's people, when we have a relationship with Christ, we are his people and should be living under the rule and the reign of our king, Jesus. We might be living in Fort Wayne, Indiana, you know, or Huntertown or wherever it is. We, you know, we might be living right here. We're living on this earth. We're living in the United States, but we are, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We live under the rule and the reign of Christ. And we should be living, we should be living as if we are under the rule and reign of Christ. I mean, there's the, there's the whole picture there, you know, knowing we're a citizen of his. 
the next one in Matthew 25, this is a parable of, of the talents, we call it sometimes. And, um, you know, the talent was a, was a unit of money. But it, it, the, par- the servants are given different amounts of money. Uh, two servants used what they were given to get more, uh, you know, for their master. And the response to both of them, the response to both of these first two is the same. Whoop. Man, can you put me back one, Andy? I went and went too far. It was my own fault, pressing these buttons all the time. There it is. Uh, so his master said to him, and again, he says this to both of those first two who, were, who got more with what they invested. He says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Share your ma-. Now, did you notice? Notice here. Notice what he says. You know, they're commended for what? Being faithful. He says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful. They're commended for being faithful. Living faithfully to God brings joy. It brings joy, not just later, but it brings joy now. Living faithfully to God brings joy now. Society wants us to believe that joy comes from pursuing your own desires. That's short-lived at best. You know, it's short-lived at best. And, and um, you know, follow along, you know, what I'm, the point here. You know, even sin sometimes brings happiness. Scripture talks about the pleasures of sin last but a moment. I assume that word pleasure there. And, you know, but... Here's the thing. It's so fleeting and it's gone and it's temporary and it's trash. It gets burned up. You know, he's calling us here to a deeper thing. He's calling us here to God's joy. It is powerful. It is lasting. It is there even when the circumstances stink. I was going to say suck, but some of you are offended by that, so I won't. You know, the, the, it's, it's even when, you know, even when the situation is horrid it's powerful and lasting luke chapter 6 he says you are blessed i think blessed is a good thing just in case you're wondering there i you know you are blessed when people hate you what when they exclude you insult you and slander your name as evil because of the son of man what well he goes on he says rejoice in that day and leap for joy take note your reward is great in heaven For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Prophets were sometimes mistreated here on earth because prophets, the main role is as you look through scripture, when we hear the word prophet, we always think, oh, dude, they're laying out something brand new, you know, and all that. The main role of prophets, as you read the Old Testament and you read through there, the main role of prophets were to call God's people back to being God's people. They were calling God's people back to living as God's people. To tell them, quit messing around, get back to being what you're supposed to be. If you have a relationship with God, start living like you have a relationship with God. This was the, this was the prophet's role. It wasn't always a popular thing because, you know, people, they, well, they just don't like being, you know, being, being told, uh, you know, what, what to do. They don't like to be being told they're sinners. But what this passage tells me here is that joy is an internal, internal reality. It is not external circumstances. 
when I think, what's the difference here? I think sometimes, you know, uh, and maybe there's probably a much finer distinction than I'm going to put here. When we think of external circumstances, you know, that, that we're kind of happy. I think happy is different than joy. Happy, you know, in my mind, is pretty much tied to the circumstances. Joy is tied to my well-being with God, first of all. And joy is that internal reality that, you know what, this, this stinks, but I am still God's. Now, sometimes we have to wrestle through that. You know, sometimes we, we really do. It's not like, sheesh, it all, everything goes, you know. I know I, I have a relationship with Christ and everything's a hunky-dory, whatever that is. Uh, you know, and, and you know, that, that's not what it is. Sometimes we have to wrestle and we have to fight to get back to that spot. You know, we do. Uh, it's not that we're unaffected by, by circumstance. No, we are affected by circumstance. Um, you know, and the, the, the whole, the whole uh, reality of, of what's going on. The, um, uh, uh, I can't go into that because it would just be too hard. Anyway, um, you know, just no, you know, it's that, that internal reality. Uh, Jesus, you know, here, the joy he's talking about, it's not the result of what's going on. He said, blessed when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, slander. It's not because of what's going on. You know, rather, it's the results of our walk with God. Rejoice, take note, he says, leap for joy. Your reward is great. It's because of that relationship with him, even through tough circumstances. And their circumstances were about to get real tough. They were going to watch Jesus be arrested. They were going to watch Jesus be, be punished. They were going to watch him be, be abused physically. They were going to watch him be tortured. And then they were going to watch him be tortured to death on the cross. Their circumstances were about to get really tough. Luke chapter 10, the next one. says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. You see, joy is very much tied to knowing God is at work in us. Knowing that he is at work in us. And he is there and he is helping us and he is helping us to adjust. He is helping us to, to, to make those, to make those, the, the, those uh, adjustments we sometimes need to be able to do even just to stand. Earlier that same night, <coughs> earlier the same night as John 17, uh, Jesus, as he's praying this prayer here, uh, he shared with the disciples that he was now praying for a little bit earlier before he began to pray. He said to them, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. You see, joy comes from living out love for God and our love for others. 
It comes from living that out. It's what he says. Uh, you know, if you keep my commands, if you are living out, if you are living out that, that love you say you have for me. He said, you know, and he ends, he says, you know, this is my command, love one another. That living for, our, out our love for God and our love for us. That's right in line with his answer when he was asked, what's the most important thing? Let's boil his whole, all these scriptures down to just, just one thing. You know, Jesus, what is it? They asked him this question because they were trying to trap him. They were trying to make him look like a fool. Well, instead, he showed them how wise he really is. And he says, the greatest commandment, you know, the biggest thing, the one you really need to focus on, he says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And they would have agreed with that. That's right in line with the Shema, you know, where they, they began their service with the Shema, uh, uh, talking about the greatness of God and who he is. And they would have agreed with that. And he, he went on and then he said, and the second is like it. The second is just as important, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's, that's his whole summary of, you know, of what, of what, what the, the, the whole scripture is right there. A whole summary of the law. And joy comes from living out your love for God and living out your love for others. Um, well, all these passages here, they're a good snapshot of the joy that Jesus is talking about when he prays. I speak these things in the world so that uh, they may have my joy complete in them. Uh, but let me summarize these for you. You know, the application of these passages. Uh, joy is intimately linked to our relationship with Jesus. It is intimately linked to our relationship with Jesus. The deeper that relationship is, the greater our joy. Now, the joy is a byproduct. Joy is not the goal. The goal is that deeper relationship with Jesus. A byproduct of that deeper relationship with Jesus is joy. And the two, it's linked, you know, they're intimately linked our relationship with Jesus and joy. You know, the, the, the deeper we know him, you know, coming to know him as our Savior brings joy. Living with him, though, as our Lord deepens that joy. Knowing him as Savior and Lord. Knowing him as Savior and what? Our King in whose kingdom we are living in. Let's go on. Verse 14. 14 through 16. He says, I have given them your word. Uh, the world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Now, we covered, we covered a, a bit of Jesus giving them, uh, you know, God's word last week where he says, you know, I've given them your word. So I'm only going to add a little bit to what we covered then. If you missed last week, you can listen online and watch the video or something. And get it, but I see two main ways really where Jesus gives uh, gives them uh, God the Father's word. Uh, one way was, you know, as He made the Old Testament, that's their Bible, as He made their, you know, their scriptures real to them, as He made them clear to them. Uh, you know, He authenticated He authenticated it as He used it, as He talked about it. He authenticated it that it was indeed the Word of God. He explained passages to them. He clarified some passages for them. And he applied the scriptures to their everyday living. 
as I was working on this, I, I ran across a study and it said that um, what we have recorded of what Jesus said, you know, what we have recorded in the Bible of what Jesus said, uh, they said that 10% of that is either a quote from or an allusion to the Old Testament. You know, that, that's, that's a significant amount. But Jesus also told them things they had never heard before. All his teaching about the Holy Spirit was new to them. That was new to them. You know, these were people who were a monotheistic God. They believed in one God, and, and it is one God. But the Trinity thing, we still have a hard time wrapping our heads around it. He began to unveil that for them and began to, you know, explain and show that a little bit. All he said about the relationship, you know, and the connection between himself, between, you know, himself and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, this was all new to them. You know, now in these verses here, Jesus is using the word world, I think, in both ways. Uh, you know, notice, you know, he's, he's talking about the created world. I'm not taking, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. But I also think that is also uh, somewhat linked to, to the later part where he says, you know, talks about, uh, you know, they are not of the world. There he's talking about, about that, that systems, those things that oppose him, that reject him, either passively or aggressively. You know, those, those people who, you know, those people who do have a relationship with, with, with God, you know, um, they, they sometimes are hated by others. And, you know, hated, he said, you know, sometimes, well, sometimes it's because of the other people's direct opposition to God. They directly oppose God. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's because of their lack of openness to God. But I think for us in our society, I think the biggest, I think the biggest reason that we are, as God's people, sometimes opposed and why they don't want to hear about God is because we're, people are so focused on themselves and so focused uh, you know, on, on what they want. They're opposed to anything or anyone that interferes with their idea of pleasure. And anyone or anything that's going to interfere with their idea of pleasure, they are opposed to. Verse 15, he says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That you protect them from the evil one. And that's an echo of what, of what Jesus told them when, they asked, when his disciples asked them, you know, teach us to pray, Lord, you know, like John's disciples do. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, read, read this together with me. Says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, for some of you who say you can't memorize scripture, um, you know, I, I just want to point out to you that right there you have five verses of scripture memorized from the King James Version of the Bible. You know, so quit telling yourself you can't memorize scripture because you could have done this without me putting the words on the screen. You could have said it, so, you know, right there you can. Anyway, uh, you know, verse 15 of John echoes part of this prayer, you know, where it says, deliver us from evil. Well, right there, you know, right there in verse 15, he says, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. It's an echo back to this here where he's talking about deliver us, you know, deliver us from evil. We need God's protection. 
And we forget about it sometimes. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, made it very clear. He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Now, sometimes it is a full-on frontal assault. You know, sometimes it, it, it is, and sometimes that's very clear. It's a full-on frontal assault, you know, against God and against his people, against his word and all he stands for. But most often, and I think this is our, our biggest battle, most often it's subtle. Most often it's sneaky. Most often our enemy is trying to be the counterfeit that he is. I, I, I knew some of this went on. I just read an article this week, a story this week about uh, this lady who made counterfeit coupons. I knew that was a thing. You know, I didn't know it was this much of a thing. This lady was selling these coupons. Well, it said she had coupon paper. Coupon paper? I didn't even know coupon paper was, was, a, was a thing. But she had coupon paper and she had, I forget how many thousands of images on her computer to print these things out. Okay, so here's the deal. She was arrested. She made $23 million selling these counterfeit coupons. I feel good when I get 50 cents off a loaf of bread, for pity's sake. Uh... But here's the deal. Why was she able to do it? Because they looked real. Because they looked real. Satan is a counterfeit. The whole idea of he he he, he masquerades. He he was an angel, you know. But he says he comes sometimes as an angel of light. Why? Because he is trying to get you to believe that he's legit. And I think that's our biggest battle. I think there's our biggest struggle right there. You know, this counterfeit, subtle, sneaky, trying to look like the real thing. Well, that's why the passage in Ephesians goes on and it says, you know, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the day of evil. Having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Now you see the importance of God's word. Look back here in John chapter 17. You see the importance of God's word. Look at verse 6. He says, I, you know, I have revealed your name to the men you gave me. The men, you know, you gave me from the world. They are yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Verse seven. It says, now they know all things. Uh, you know, you have given them to me and they uh, to me. Uh, they are from you because the words that you gave me. I have given them. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you've given me. I guarded them. Not one of them was lost except that son of destruction so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. <coughs> uh, verse 14, I've given them your word. 
Verse 17, we're going to look at in a minute. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You see, knowing, learning, and living the word of God is your best defense against being led astray. It's your best defense. You know, knowing, learning, and living the Word of God. That's your best defense from being led astray. Read. Read so that you know the Word of God. Read it. Read it so that you know the Word of God. Study it so that you learn. You learn what the Word of God says. So that you can live out the Word of God every day. And keep listening. Let's finish this up. Let's pull verse 16 in again uh, as we, we finish this off. Verse 16, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As, I sent, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. You know, they are not of the world system, is what he's talking about here. That system, those people that defy, that reject, that oppose God. You know, and, and God calls his people to live in that world, though. He doesn't send us out uninformed and empty. It says Jesus sanctified us, set us apart. He set us apart for his use here. And so that they may be sanctified by the truth, it says. We grow in our living for him. You see, sanctified, it, it comes, it, you know, there's two ways scripture talks about being sanctified. One is that we are sanctified. We are set apart positionally. We are sanctified. We are given that. We are called into the family of God. We are called to be his people. We are, when you come to salvation in Christ, you are, you are his child. You are in his family. Positionally, we have that. But then here's also, it's unfolding, you know, we're being sanctified. So he says, so that they might be sanctified by the truth. That's growing, growing spiritually, you know, growing to be more like Christ, growing in holiness as we, you know, as we keep listening to him progressively, positionally, progressively. We are sanctified, set apart for God, set into his family. We continue to grow and understand more and more of what that means, that, that, that whole thing. You know. We're told here to be in the world, you know, this created place, even intermingling with those of the world, but we are not to be of the world. Our driving connection is to be our relationship with Jesus. Our driving connection is to be our relationship with him, not the world. We should be defined by our relationship with Jesus. That's what should define us, not our affection for the world. We're to make an impact for Jesus. Now, you know, you may think you're having an impact, you know, and, and, and they know and they understand, um, you know, and, but we'll just keep our lives separate from them. Um, but, you know, you can impress people from a distance, but you impact them up close. You want to have a difference for Christ? You know, you know, from a distance, they don't know who you're following. You know, for, it could be Buddha, it could be Mormons, it could be Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, uh, maybe even Deepak Chopra, whatever his name is, you know, that guy. Uh, you know, it, it, it could be any, any of these things. But up close, you can tell them about Jesus. You can tell them about what he has done in your life. You can tell them about what he is doing. In your life, 
You want to know what your calling your purpose for God is? Your calling your purpose for God is very simple. It's very clear that you, that you live and you impact this world. What world? The one that you're touching. Do your neighbors on either side of you know that... Well, one side of me is an empty field. It makes it a little easier for me. But do your neighbors, do they know that you have a relationship with Christ? Do they know that you do what you do because of your relationship with Christ? You know, do they understand that? There's your calling in this world to make an impact with the people that God has entrusted to your care. Those people you work with that don't know Christ. Those people that live in your neighborhood that don't know Christ. Those members of your family that don't know Christ. God has entrusted them to your care. There's your purpose. There's your, your calling in the world. Well, this section of verses in mind, let's, let's just look again at the closing statement we've used and been using for the last couple of weeks. I, I think it's important. You know, God is working out his plan in his time with his people according to his word. Not according to our plan, not according to our wishes, but according to his word. You know, according to his plan. If you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, you are part of that plan. Do you understand that? If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are part of that plan. Keep listening to him. Keep listening to him and you will grow deeper in your relationship with him and your joy will increase. You know, you'll be better able to live out the word of God. You won't be led astray. You know, you, you will be defined by your relationship with Jesus rather than your affection for this world. Keep listening to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us your word that we can hear you. We don't have to wait for some magical, mysterious voice to uh, reach down and speak to us. But we have that opportunity and privilege of having that relationship with you now in which we can hear from you. Your word has been and is very clear and you have made it so very real in my life over and over again. And we know you'll continue to do that. Not because of us, but because you're God and your word is powerful. Your word is effective. Help it to be powerful and effective in our lives and through our lives. Help us to be those people which very clearly uh, not only live for you, but very clearly can help others see the importance of a relationship with you too. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. Thank you for giving us not only of your spirit to help us, but your word to guide us. May we never forget what it means to be yours and a child of the King. To you we pray with thanks in his name. Amen. Would you stand together for the benediction? And as we do, if you need prayer for anything today, um, as we dismiss, uh, Pastor Paul is one of our elders. He'll be up front here to pray with you and for for you. Uh, Connie Roos is one of our deaconesses. She'll be up here to pray with you and for you as well. So as we dismiss, if you need prayer for anything, uh, please come forward and they'll pray with you and they will pray for you. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling, and to set us before his presence without fault and with great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and dominion both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen.